Welcome to the Boss Lady Podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur climbing the corporate ladder or a work-from-home parent, you are a boss. If you desire to make your life extraordinary, to reach and exceed your personal and professional goals, and learn from other strong leaders, then the Boss Lady Podcast is for you. As an entrepreneur, mother, wife, and former CEO, I share lessons and stories of both personal and professional successes and failures. Join me along with a diverse list of guests as we break down strategies, tools, and techniques that will enhance your career and your life. Together, we will embrace, empower, and educate each other. I am Teresa Rand, and this is the Boss Lady Podcast. Welcome to the Boss Lady Podcast. We are back, let's see, last Thursday, I'm trying to think, and maybe Trish, my guest, can help me. Last Thursday, we were in the midst of the hurt. No, it was a week out. It had just finished. I'm trying to think. It's been all crazy. But um, we are safe and sound. If you are a new listener, I am in Florida. I'm in Daytona Beach, Florida, which thankfully wasn't hit as badly as Southwest Florida. But still, we had Category 1 winds, and there was a lot of damage. It was in the paper this week, you know, billions of dollars worth of damage. Friends, including my podcast producer, Bobby, whose homes got flooded. So there's still a lot of turmoil going on here, um, but certainly not. The devastation that was seen in southwest florida so i don't know if we're a week or 10 days out or whatever we're out we're just glad we're out and the weather's been beautiful since so if you're a new listener thank you for being here if you are uh, i don't ever like to use the word an old lister a continuing listener then i certainly want to say thank you to you and uh, if you are if you have been listening for a while you know i don't like to do a lot of Commercials, so I'll just tell you, I am Teresa Rand, and you can find out all you can want to find out about me, if you care to, at TeresaRandConsulting.com. You can find out about the podcast, you can listen to past podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find out about the consulting I do, the speaking, and the Boss Lady community, but I always like to jump into my guest, and today, we have one that I think is very timely, we're recording this on a Tuesday, which it'll come out in your world on a Thursday, but yesterday was World Mental Health Day. So I have a friend, I have several friends who are therapists, but I called on this friend who's a therapist and part of the Boss Lady community, uh, Trisha Adams. Her name is Patricia Adams, but she goes by Trisha, and she's a licensed clinical social worker, owns an organization called LakesideTherapist.com, LakesideTherapist.com. And she'll tell us a little bit about what she does, but her center has 14 or 15 other therapists, 14 14 other therapists. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But first of all, Trish, welcome. Thank you for making time for us because I can imagine you're just a little busy. Yes, we've been very busy, but thank you for thank you for having me. Yeah, so you have 15 or 14 therapists in your practice. So there's 15 of you all together. How many different modalities? I mean, are there of I mean, I guess there's family therapy, marriage therapy, what all are there? So we've got two play therapists who work with the younger kids and a great mm-hmm. great way to work with the younger kids who may not have the verbal ability to give a whole lot of uh, verbal detail or conversation is in play. And there's a very creative way to work with children in that wow. way. 
We're seeing a lot of adolescents as well, especially post-pandemic and with um, adolescents and teens heading back to school. Uh, they're having some challenges, anxiety, yeah. social issues, and things like that. Um, we do a lot of work with um, also individuals of all ages. So um, individual adults from 18 to in their 90s and above. Uh, we wow work with all ages, and then also couples counseling, because especially in these last couple of years, the stress of the world has been weighing right. everybody, and couples have really been struggling as well. Yeah, well, it just seems like, and I know the world is always kind of a roller coaster, so it's not new just to our generation, but it certainly seems like, you know, starting with COVID and then you know, the race issues with the George Floyd murder and the nasty political season we're in and um, and then the hurricane and schools in one day and out one day and people lose their jobs and then employers can't find enough. I mean, it's enough to just send anybody over the edge, for lack of better terminology, but especially if you already have mental concerns. And quite frankly, I don't know anybody that doesn't on occasion. Would that be true to say? I think that that's very true. I was um, looking at statistics a little while ago and pre-pandemic, we could figure about 3% of the population dealt with issues like depression and anxiety. And post-pandemic, it's over 30%. Over 30% wow. of people have uh, symptoms related to depression and anxiety. That's just huge. And um, wow get treatment for all of these people, it's a real challenge. Our system is really stressed and um, and stretched. And, you know, you're helping everybody else. You also do, you know, you do in-office, but you do virtual, right, as well, or telehealth, whatever it's called. But um, how do you and your peers take care of yourselves? Well, I would, for me... I find that physical activity has been really helpful for me. So my mantra at 56 is I'm going to move my body in ways that bring me joy, mm. bring me joy. I'm not going to do it. So yoga, walking outside, really trying to get as much outside time, especially as the humidity is dropping here in Florida and it's more comfortable to get some outside time. Um, Pilates has become a favorite of mine. Yeah, find physical activity is really important. I also think connection to others is really important. Mm. Isolation is a key ingredient for depression. Yeah, when we can feel like we're part of a community of you know, and and here in our office, a community of supporters of others who support one another. Right. You know, there's there's uh, always times when we come together and just say, "Hey, how, how are you doing? Let's talk." You know. Yeah are going through these situations as well. I had two therapists with major flooding in their homes. Oh, so, and um, I have therapists who are, you know, that are uh, dealing with the, the racial aggressions against um, people of minorities, people of color. And um, it's, it's a lot. So we deal with our own and it's really important to carve out some time to take care of ourselves as well. So when does somebody know, I mean, when do we know the difference between I'm just feeling anxious today or I've been feeling this way for a while and it doesn't seem, what is a trigger that 
a person can look for a red flag? I don't, I don't really know how to ask the question, but when do I know I can't do this on my own anymore? I think people will know that. Um, and you kind of answered your own question, Teresa, by saying, you know, if it's, if it's momentary, if it's a day or two, if it's a short term stressful event and we can garner, we can gather up the resources, inner resources to be able to deal right. with then we probably will be able to move through that okay and come down to whatever baseline level of functioning in this world yeah. and expect to have. But when somebody is dealing with trouble in school or work, um, challenges in relationships, challenges with sleep, challenges with their appetites, challenges with anger, and it is lasting more than I would say two or three weeks, then that might be an indicator that it's time to see if there might be a way to um, to get some uh, external guidance for that. Yeah. Now, as a lay person, it seems to me that some of the stigma of mental health is going away because we are talking about it more. Um, I know I, I had a therapist on right in the middle of the pandemic back in 2020, and it to this day is still one of my most listened to podcasts. Uh, so I expect the same from this one. But we hear more about it. We're talking more about it. So with this uptick of people that are dealing with anxiety from 3% to 30%, is there a massive uptick in people that are reaching out for professional help? Definitely. I would yeah. tell the story that when the um, when the toilet paper shortage came on, our phones came to a screeching halt and everybody got very nervous here. And I said, just wait, just wait until this part of, you know, preparation is over and people have been home for a few weeks, the phone is going to start ringing. And I do think that we're talking about it more as a society, which is really wonderful. And now we're getting well over a hundred calls a week from people wow. counseling as new, as new clients. And I, I give, I give people a lot of credit. I think it's the most vulnerable moment when somebody realizes that they can't manage something in their lives right, and they have to call for help, you know, that's a, it's a very vulnerable moment. And we take that very, very seriously and very respectfully in our office. Yeah. It is not pick up that, that call, that phone. But yes, I do feel like this, the, that for many people, the stigma has been reduced. Certainly our younger people are talking about it more yeah. generations, Gen Z in particular, they're um, embracing mental health and mental wellness and self-care habits um, in ways we haven't seen in generations. Uh, well, they've practically lived in trauma since they've been born. They sure have. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, what it feels like that, you know, they don't know a world without school shootings and a war going on. And I mean, just on and on and on, you know, it, it just, it has to impact our young people. And I think it might impact even our little ones mm -hmm. because it, it, what kind of truth is there to, you know, if mommy and daddy are anxious, then my three-year-old might be anxious or my five or six-year-old, even though I try to, you know, be the adult, does that not wear off on them? Absolutely. We that, you know, that the ones maybe don't, um, they're not listening or they don't understand or we're, you know, discussing these things behind closed doors, but little children are sponges and yeah. they soak up the energy in the house, the words that we're saying, the, you know, how we're coping. They're, they're just soaking that all in. 
So when does a parent, while we're on children, you know, if your child is having trouble in school and, you know, you have a school counselor, you know, I, I guess often now they didn't when I was in school, but they put like a team, a support team around that child. And we're talking first grade, second grade, whatever. When does a parent know if that's enough or should they take their child to therapy? You talked about your child therapy, your play therapy, I think was what you use. When does a parent know when it's just normal stuff or it's bigger than that? I think a good place to start. Now, I will say children are not my expert area. Mm -hmm. Okay. A good place to start is with a school counselor or school programs and assessments because we want to make sure we're are we seeing behavioral changes because of learning challenges? Are we seeing behavioral changes because of social or emotional challenges? And so trying to um, figure all of that out so that we can say maybe it's not this or maybe it is this so that we know. And I think, too, when we see behaviors with children um, in different in different arenas or different areas, that is troublesome. So kids, you know, I remember when I was parenting my kids, they would be little angels at at school and then they would come home and all heck would work loose, right? right? Because they've been working so good at home and then at home or at school. And then at home, it was like, but, um, you know, but, but kids are holding it together in that one environment. They know that they can come home and, and relax when they're at home and that's okay. But if you're seeing behaviors that are challenging at school, socially with friends, at home, in other areas, you know, when it's when it's not well managed in lots of different um, spaces that children might be a part of, right? Might be wondering, you know, if we have if we have not identified a learning issue that could be creating the issue in school, then what else is going on? Okay. Yeah, good advice. So let's talk about the workplace a little bit. You know, I just finished taking a certification from Cornell on um, workplace wellness, health and wellness in the workplace. And we spent a lot of time, it was an eight-week course, talking about, you know, like you said, go outside, get into nature, encourage those things. But it also talked about how does the employer set the stage? Because so often... I don't want my employee to know I might be feeling anxious. I don't want, even though there's the employee assistant program, nobody ever believes it's it's confidential because you got to go to HR, you got to, you know, whatever. And I remember when we had it, we employees wouldn't use it when I was the CEO of an organization um, because they just didn't believe it was confidential. And then they have this fear that my boss is going to think I'm nuts. So how can an employer set a culture that it's okay to take a mental health day or to talk about it or what are some things an employer can do? Well, I think while we would not necessarily, you know, suggest that an employer should share the details of a struggle that they're having, I think employers can model how they handle stress. Mm, So uh, so an employer can say, I won't be here tomorrow. I'm taking a mental health day. uh, 
you know, um, I, I won't, I'm, I'm going to be, um, you know, there's a, a work challenge of, you know, getting certain steps in and let's all go out and, you know, let's be a team and, and, and get these steps and get some exercise in. So I think an employer's role can be to model that even if they're not sharing all of the details of what they're dealing with. And I just want to go back to that employee assistance program comment. It, it is confidential. I know, I know, but employers, employees do not believe it. That's a shame because, you know, the, in, the specific information about any, any person who uses an EAP benefit never goes back to the employer. The employer might get some statistics, right? X amount of percentage of your employees utilized EAP. Right, so an aggregate, not individual. But they're not getting specific information and our experience here is a lot of people want to use that benefit, thankfully. Yeah. People struggle with journey with EAP or just the few sessions really helps them to figure out coping strategies for how to manage that right. new decisions in their life so that they can move forward. So it's not people don't have to commit to six months or a year of therapy. Right. Sometimes just a handful of sessions can really get the job done. That is so true. Number one, let's repeat that. The employee assistant program is absolutely, I would assume by law, confidential. So if you have that, find out if you have that at work and use it. Um, it's an awesome benefit. Your employer pays for it, so use it. But the second thing you said is it's not it's not like going to the chiropractor, and I'm going to apologize now to some of my chiropractor friends, where you have to go forever. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dr. Gorshax. I know that's not always the case, but, you know, we, just an analogy. I know in times in my life, whether it was going through a divorce or the death of my unexpected death of my brother, some issues with children, I would go to therapy for three or four times and then I'm okay um, because I get coping skills until crap happens again and then I need to go back and be reminded that I got through it then, I'll get through it now. Right. Um, exactly. So it doesn't mean it's a lifelong commitment or a weekly commitment for an entire year. You know, I, I have I see a lot of people, too, who we get some work done in four to six sessions and then they might want to come once a month for maintenance. Yeah, yeah. To do that once every six weeks, I have a few people. They know they can call if they need something sooner, but they just like that touching base and also the accountability because I'm going to ask them, did you use that coping strategy that I taught yeah. you? Yeah. That YouTube video that showed, you know, a meditation or how to tap on anxiety or depression or, you know, one of those, you know, guided images right. I might share with people. So. So you and I were talking, you, you happened to be at my home last week for a boss lady event, and we were chatting about EMDR and then this new therapy that I think you went to last week, to last weekend to become a trainer. So, you know, I know we, 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 we're going to do the quick version, but if somebody hears EMDR, because I've been hearing that more and more, and I've done that with my therapist a couple of times, um, and then I can't remember, I'm sorry, the name of the other treatment that you like better in addition. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but tell us about those two options. Yeah. So the kind of thing that I do, and I'm now a certified trainer. Yay. And after a very long, arduous weekend, is called Accelerated Resolution Therapy. It was developed by a therapist in Connecticut, Lainey Rosenzweig. She was also trained in EMDR and 
he had made some modifications to it that she felt made made it work faster and also um, in general less anxiety provoking for the clients involved. So it is it takes the best of what I think EMDR has to offer and mixes up some other modalities so that we can take a look at somebody's trauma from start to finish in one session and make pretty significant changes in the way that person feels about that trauma by updating the visual images that are associated with that event. Awesome. And EMDR, I forget what it stands for. It's big, long words. Yep. Eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Yeah. And it basically is, is it an energy, a vibration? For somebody that's never heard of EMDR, how would you just describe that to them? So the first two words in EMDR are eye movement. And right. so involves using eye movements or bilateral stimulation is how um, EMDR thinks of it now, where a therapist either moves their hand back and forth across uh, a person's um, face so that they can follow their eyes. <clears throat> Some EMDR therapists use buzzers, but the bilateral stimulation of going back and forth, back and forth is not only um, can be relaxing, but it also helps us to process information. It gets yeah. our- moving, not exactly in a similar way that um, that the dream state or our or REM sleep does, but it gets, it gets our brain processing information. So we want people to process information in ART or accelerated resolution therapy as well, but the way we go about it is different. Yeah. So I know the times and you said, you know, that the new, new one, do you, is ART or is that the yep, acronym? So is not as anxiety provoking for the client. I I know, and I used to joke with my therapist, um, who's also a friend of mine. But um, it, I would say, you know, I knew if she was, if we were going to do an EMDR session, that I had to take all day off work, and I literally would leave her office and go walk the beach, and I just felt. I don't know, almost like this out-of-body experience. Now, the days after, I felt much better. And, you know, I was glad. I I mean, I've done it several times. So I always felt better and believed it was worth it. But, yeah, it it zaps you for a little bit because memories come back that I didn't even know I had. Right, exactly. Because, you know, memories aren't in a box by themselves. Our life is linear. And so our experiences all are there, like, and 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 nothing. I lost you for a minute, Trish. Trish, I lost you for a minute. Where you said experiences are like, that's okay. So experience, like, they're on a string of pearls. So our experiences are not, uh, they're not separate. They're all linear. And so when we open up one area, when we look at one pearl on the string of pearls with EMDR, um, and and again, I don't want to be the spokesperson for either one. I'm just going to speak for me right now. I felt like there was not enough protection around that one pearl and the whole string of pearls could open up. Oh, yeah. Very overwhelming for a client. And, um, and could lead to those like feeling like I have to take the day off. I feel kind of out of my body or right. I'm not great to take this time and reflect with ART. What I find is that my clients leave energized. They leave feeling like we have really settled something. Um, we, 
I, I kind of use the the term, we kind of put like a mental harness or a lasso around one right. particular issue in life. And if we find that another memory comes up, um, we'll make a decision. Do we need to be addressing that one or does that one need to wait? So we're, yeah. so it's a process that allows for a lot of creativity, but also gives me the process as the therapist to go start to finish with processing of uh, earlier memory that is currently feeling traumatic and doesn't feel traumatic anymore because people are making their organic changes themselves. Yeah. If, a, if a therapist sit here and say, Teresa, I don't know why you feel that way. Cause I think you're so brave and I think you're so smart and I think you're so great. And I think you're all this. And, you know, and, and the therapist, you know, saying all these wonderful things and Teresa is going to sit across from me and say, yeah, but you know, you know, I don't really believe that. I don't right. really believe that. And I have 10,000 reasons why I don't believe that. But with, and, and with uh, with EMDR as well, with ART, with any of these kind of memory reconsolidation therapies that are out there now, clients are organically making those changes. So they're updating their beliefs. They're yeah, right. they feel about themselves. So now I'm not sitting here saying, you're so great. You're so brave. You're so wise. They now get it. They begin to believe it. And that in the therapy. Yeah. Everybody's got, everybody's got the answers to what they need in their brain. And these, yeah. the therapies just help somebody go find it. Yeah. You know, that's what I tell any coaching clients that I'm not here to give you advice. I'm just here to ask you the questions mm-hmm. and you, you already know, you just don't know what questions to ask yourself to get there. Um, it's not about telling you what to do. It's just helping you figure it out for yourself. So, you know, and I know we talk about the hurricane because it's so close to home, but I guess it doesn't really matter if it's a hurricane or if it's any kind of trauma and it's trauma that you're having. Somebody else's trauma may not be my trauma, but if you call it trauma, then it's your trauma. So what are a couple of tips you can give? And, and, and we're talking about the people that maybe have a couple of days in a row they feel anxious or you know, they're on the borderline. They've had, you know, like the death of my brother or, you know, going through a divorce. What are some things that we can do to kind of help ourselves? So I I think that finding your trusted person or persons to share your feelings with mm-hmm. is important. I don't think we need a, a, a lot of friends, but we need a few that are kind of ride right. or friends that will be yeah. for us. I think... Um, also kind of finding the gratitude that come up in our lives because there's, there's always hope. So we just have to find where the hope is um, and, and, and look for the hope and the gratitude as well. I think, you know, taking time out to do some meditation, Mm -hmm. um, taking a walk in your favorite place, or even using like a, using your imagination to sit in a chair and take yourself on a trip to your favorite safe yeah. place, you know, and use your senses. At, um, it's a guided imagery called safe space that we use a lot when people are just feeling anxious to feel more grounded. Right. Um, you know, but I think, I think connection, I think breathing, I think just yeah. re- remembering that, that every moment passes. And so I'm not a big believer in time heals all wounds, but time does help us to shift our perspective, yeah. if nothing. Yeah. And so if we can be through those hard moments, 
and 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 find that new perspective with a little bit of time, then um, you're all right. But don't be afraid to reach out for help. Just ask for help. Right. Absolutely. And I think when people come to us for help, we have to be very careful in the words we use that, oh, you'll, you know, everything happens for a reason or you'll get through this or it's not really that big of a deal. I think our role as a friend is to do more listening and and not try to do to poo-poo it, if you will, um, no matter how minor it may seem to you. If someone else feels this is tragic or trauma or anxiety producing, then it is. And it's not up for us to judge that. So I know I had two calls just this morning from friends that just wanted to talk. And at the end of it, they both said two separate people didn't know they called me. I guess I just, I don't need anything. I just needed to talk, you know, and it's so valuable because, you know, I have those people. I'm like, I don't need you to fix anything. I just need you to listen. I'm I'm hurting right now, you know. So as friends, that's something important we can do. Um, but Definitely. then don't be afraid to ask for help. Right. And don't, you know, and don't feel like you have to fix somebody's problems if they're calling you. Yeah. You to fix it. And we're we're a society of fixers. Put a quick fix yeah. that or give the answer or pat them on the back or feel sympathy or or what it is that we do. But sometimes the very best thing that we can do is close our mouths and open our ears and just listen. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. Well, certainly anyone who's listening to this, it's Lakeside Therapy. P dot lakesidetherapy.com. So the name of our uh, um, office is Lakeside Counseling and Wellness Center. And our web address is lakesidetherapists.com. Okay, perfect. Lakesidetherapists.com. So again, there's Trish and 14 of her favorite therapists <laughs> that work in the office for her with her. And uh, we are glad to have you and your team in our community and certainly, certainly needed uh, during uh, all the time, but especially, it seems like it's just one thing after another since COVID. So thank you. And, um, please take care of yourself and your other therapists there because we need you guys. So thank you so much for making time to be with us today. It's very special. Thank you, Teresa. I will end this podcast like I always do uh, with my grandfather saying he always told us when he was alive to take time to stop and smell the roses. And I think we heard a little bit of that today from our guest, uh, Tricia Adams. So thank you. If you like this podcast, there are others. I'll put some in the show notes where we had a therapist on a few years back. And uh, as always, if you did like it, please subscribe, rate, and keep listening. So with that, until we meet again, take care.